Welcome back to Handbook Podcast, a chapter-by-chapter review of bad books by bad people. This week, we are continuing our review of uh, Handbook for Handbook for Mortals by Landy Serum. Enjoy! Um, okay, so I'm going to step back a little bit. We're going to go back in time because we just got into that outfit with the stew thing. Yes, okay. <laughs> we, we had dressed to the stew outfit, the beef stew outfit. We'll come back to the beef stew moment. Okay. Time passes after she gets to be part of the show and she saves Sophia. Her and Mac go on that motorcycle ride after Jackson asks her to come to the show. They make out in the rain. It's in the script. It's a sexy scene, but in the rain, in like the actual book, it's like they're just like riding through the desert and then they stop at like an abandoned gas station and like have a kiss. And then they go back and they go back to work and try to play it cool. And she's supposed to go to a show for the Plain White Tees, who, by the way, are a real band that exist in the real world and have an actual lead singer, but in this, it's Jackson Rathbone, who also exists in the real world. Everybody. Reminder, these are people. Um, so she goes to this show, and she realizes that the Plain White Tees have an actual following, which is kind of cool for her to acknowledge. But it's the it's not the first instance because there's definitely the moment when she meets Sophia and the way that her and Sophia interact. There's the moment with Lil where she's getting fitted for her, like, costume and that's when, like, Mac ogles her from the door but at the same time she's ignoring Lil who's talking to her like a normal fucking human being would. Because women are so inconsequential in this story and this is actually my biggest gripe with Lanny Sarum is that she's... She talks about how she wrote this book because she wanted to write empowered female characters for her to play. But she doesn't really empower any of the female characters. And the way she talks about women in this book, are it's really, like, problematic, actually. I'm just going to pull up the passage. Um, she's, she's talking about the way the girls rush the stage. She gets to the Play My Tees concert. She's wearing this dress. She spent the whole day at the mall where she assures us that she's not a girly girl who likes to go shopping, and yet she spends the entire day at the mall picking out a dress. By the way, it's okay to like clothes, everybody. It's 2018. We all like our, we all cover our weird bodies with clothes. It's okay to like them. It, considering that now that there's like Metro guys and shit like that, like it's also a guy thing. Like one of the things of my other podcast is that, the one of the male co-hosts wears different shoes every week and takes a picture of them and we post That's it amazing. like yeah like clothes are a thing you can be interested in them no matter what sex you are and it doesn't make you a terrible person so she she goes to this bar where the plain white tees are playing um i'm really trying to find this passage so what's his name damar is the name of the character yeah. that like Ah, shit, I can't figure out how to spell his name. Um, She goes to the show with Jackson, presumably, and Jackson offers to buy her a drink afterwards, but while she's there, she's observing the way that the women act about them, and she talks about how she really wanted to get up close to the stage, but she didn't want to deal with the way that the girls were screaming, like they were fangirling. Right. Over... Which is exactly what all the guys do to her. Okay, Okay, I'm going to read this passage because I just found it. 
The crowd noticed him as he approached the mic and began to scream and back up, pack up close to the edge of the stage. Most of the crowd pushing and shoving at the front were female, and by the way they reacted, you would have thought they had just found out that Justin Bieber, Bieber was coming on stage. The energy in the room was frantic. I contemplated trying my trying to push my way to the front as well. It did look like it might be fun towards the front in the middle of the excitement. I got why they all pushed and shoved their way up, but I chose to hang back. It wasn't because of what Mac, Riley, Cam, and Todd were doing, though they had gone, though had they gone up to the front, I would have joined them. It also wasn't because I didn't want to upset Mac by looking like an instant groupie for Jackson's band. Mainly, I liked observing, and not just the band, but also all the fans that were in the front. They were so enthralled by the band that they didn't notice how uncomfortable they were jammed next to each other on the stage. Some of the girls were looking over at the guys with googly eyes and bemused expressions on their face. Some looked like they were giving the guys their smoldering come-hither stares. Lastly, there were girls who were pretending to ignore them as if they weren't there, when it was even more obvious that they were trying their hardest to get the boys' attention. I laughed at how funny the whole thing was. People watching was one of my favorite pastimes, and I'm pretty sure I was witnessing people watching at its finest. The way that she speaks about women, she has, it's, it's got that sense of I'm not like other girls, like, just laced into it. She doesn't want to go be part of that because that behavior is detestable, because it's something girls do for bands. She's saying it, she's she's not participating in it, and she's insulting the girls who are participating in it. She's looking down on them, and I, I just found that attitude to be present throughout the book. What's amusing is she does describe these girls that are standing off and pretending to ignore, which is literally what she's doing. Is it not like you were also ignoring the band in hopes that Jackson but you also know that Jackson's going to come I don't know I don't know it is the most like roundabout way of being like I'm not like other girls and it just seems so smug and like now I really want to see if that phrase is in this book I don't think it is because I don't think I would have ever finished it I would have highlighted that and I would have noted it and we'd be talking about it right now exactly like Kudos for you for pulling the very long game of, like, not being another girl. Bug? But it just, it, it seems so smug and condescending. That's what I don't like about it. It's it's insulting to girls who get excited about bands. Yeah. I feel like in our culture we already, like, we diminish women who get excited about things, particularly young women, and we don't need another young woman. Like, she's only 36. Like, she's she's a young woman and she's writing about other young women in a way that's really, really condescending. And that, that actually really bothered me. And it comes up again with the Betsy Johnson thing. I'm looking at my timeline and there's a little bit of time in between. So we have this plain white tea show. And at the end, Riley gets trashed and Mac has to take him home. And she stays out with Jackson and has presumably a good time. And yet we never really see too much interaction between her and Jackson. No, like this would have been a great place to, I would have made a note that says like expand, show more Jackson. Something. But she just says, it seems so easy to talk to him. And that's that's kind of all we get about it. Like, we had this, like, 20 Kindle page description of what was going on between her and Mac. And we feel that connection between her and Mac, even though it, I don't think it's well carried out. Like, I get the sense that they have things in common. They have things they want to talk about. I never really get that with Jackson. She's just like, he's pretty and nice. No, it's like anything that she actually had to add to the screenplay never got flushed out. Never got past a second draft. No, um, and it's... That's where her word count should be coming from, is these additional scenes with Jackson. If you're going to have a love triangle, to the point that you have fucking buttons made for Team Mac or Team Jackson, like, give me some Jackson interaction. Because you have, like, so so the two classic, like, YA love triangles, where you've got Jacob, Bella, and Edward. And 
I actually was, like, like Stephanie Meyer, I don't think she's an amazing writer by any means, but I was more sold on Jacob and Bella than I was on Edward and Bella, yeah. because Jacob's a well-fleshed-out character with understandable motivations and a personality that makes sense. If you're reading The Hunger Games, you've got Katniss, Peeta, and Gale, and she did a good job at painting why Katniss would be, well, Katniss isn't really romantically interested in any of them, to be honest, because she's like, hey, it'd be really cool if you guys could stop asking me out, I'm trying not to get eaten by wolves. But when it comes down to it, you see that her and Peeta have a weird connection, but also that her and Gail have been friends for so long. She, she spends the time she needs to establishing those characters so that the love triangle has stakes. This love triangle does not have stakes. It has beef stew. It it also. Oh, you that can, was the best joke, and that, you're just gonna let it go. No, that Sorry. was a great joke. Um, Thank you. There are a few YA triangles where you. Sorry, most YA triangles of books that are actually like popular and do well, you can take a look at it and you go, okay. I'm Team X. I'm Team Y. Here's my 15 minutes on why I'm Team X. Give me your 15 minutes on why your team why. And you can go back and forth and you're never going to change or sway anybody to the other side. Like very rarely. Once you pick a team, you are a team. But there is no argument for Team Jackson here. Like the, the love triangles are only compelling if you're really not sure who they're gonna end up with, or at least if you're if you already know who they're gonna end up with. Like I don't think anybody thought Bella was gonna leave Edward for Jacob. But there's still part of you that wants her to. Exactly. Your heart hurts. Like. You you hurt for Jacob. You hurt for Gail. Well, you hurt less for Gail because Gail sucks. Um, There's a book. Team PETA. Sorry. Oh, God. No, Team PETA. Um, The Red Queen. And the author's name escapes me, although she's from Atlanta, so I really need to remember. And it's. We'll put it in the show notes. um, I've only read the first book. And I can't remember what she's up to now. Um, but it has a love triangle with two brothers that is actually really fascinating Um, because you are like, I can see her picking either of them and it's going to hurt me when she doesn't pick the other one, no matter which way it ends up. Mm -hmm. And like, and then something happens and then you're like, oh, fuck okay, never mind. But <laughs> someone betrays and it's just like, oh shit. And it's great. And another, like, Divergent doesn't have a love triangle because it doesn't need one. YA doesn't mean you need to have a love triangle. You should only have a love triangle if it is actually something important. This book didn't need one. It didn't. The Like, it was literally like someone told her, Here's what a YA book needs to have. You have plot A, which is her trying out for a Vegas show and finding a normal life. Fine. Plot B is her dating Mac. B.1 is, you know, is she sleeping with Charles secretly as well? C, you know, B2 feeds into Sophia. There should be a C, which I guess is her parents, but whatever. <laughs> kind of. I mean. C and D for Charles and Della. Oh, there you go. Um, <laughs> but it 
it doesn't have to be there and your book can still be popular without it. Because this book, at the end of the day, it it falls into the Star Wars prequels traps where it's about the wrong thing. You go into the Star Wars prequel and it's supposed to be about what happened that made Anakin want to turn to the dark side. But at the end of the prequels, Anakin actually has to say in the movie, from my perspective, the Jedi are evil. Because they have not made a single compelling argument so far. No, because they are this too book... focused on, like, his love story with, I can't think of her name, but Natalie Portman and... Padme. And they, they should have made the, that be the compelling argument. We don't need to get into the Star Wars prequels because I'm sick the... To fucking death of talking about Star Wars. But it's just, it's a good example of a story that should have been about one thing and was about another. This story should have been about Zade being in a magic show and having to hide the fact that she's actually magic. Like, this book would have been great if you had, like, some Sabrina the Teenage Witch style high drinks going on. Yeah. God, I love that show. But instead, we get a love triangle, which doesn't even really function as a conflict. Sabrina even so, has a better love triangle. I know, but she ends up with Harvey, and that's the important part. It's so important, and it's so good. Oh my god, when their hearts don't... We're not going to spoil Sabrina the Teenage Witch for everybody I think like 20 years, years ago, later. But <laughs> so good. Um, so the next, the next point of action... Okay. According to my timeline, is hot dog on a stick? <laughs> Apparently, Lambo Girl already already shows up, but I'm gonna roll this into one mall trip because time is an illusion, just like the stage dive. Um, Zade goes to the mall to go shopping again. She's not a girly girl. She just needed more clothes. You know, like you do, like me. <laughs> In an age where there's an internet and you can just. You know, have Amazon send you clothes. While she's there, she goes to a hot dog on a stick stand, and she gets a lemonade because if she ate a hot dog, that would be too sexual for I was about to say, all the boys would just have to go and run and hide. Because she'd be eating a hot dog, and nothing says, uh, fuck me, like watching someone bite into something phallic, right? Exactly. And then chew it, and then, like, get a little on themselves, like, cover yourself in mustard. That's a guess. Oh, have you eaten hot dogs with me? Is this what's happened? (laughs) No. no, but that's how I eat hot dogs. I eat hot dogs too. Well, I mean, so that's when I can slow myself down enough to not unhinge my jaw and put the whole thing down my throat and then lay down like an anaconda and just digest it for a few hours. It's also like what a 19-year-old does when they're like, I don't know how to be sexy, but hot dogs are sexy, right? I just can't get over the idea that it's supposed to be sexy because you're literally biting into I know, it I and then chewing it. it. And then swallowing it. Like, lollipops make sense to me. Popsicles make sense to me. Hot dog. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, you, like, you're doing the movement with Exactly. Those. With, like, a hot dog or even a banana. Like, really? This is what you want? Like, chomp, chomp? Can we have this conversation with dudes on Wednesday when we're hanging out? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> like, I yes. want to have this full-on comp. Uh, you, you just want to chomp, chomp, right? <laughs> Exactly. So she goes to hot dog on a stick and gets a lemonade. And thank God she didn't get a hot dog or it would have been way worse. Because the guy at the hot dog stand, whose name is Alan, because people have been named Alan since the year 1970, a young man named Alan makes googly eyes at her because she's beautiful. 
and he says, her, your hair is awesome. And his girlfriend, who's not even 5'2", and she's fat, and that makes her a bad person, says, you skank, he's taken. Also, who said skank since, like, 2005? My boyfriend's adopting a cat who got pregnant, and I call her a skank. That's she deserves it, though. She's, She's a skank. skank. Has he named her yet? I'm calling her Penelope. <laughs> I love that. She name. came with the name Miracle, but that's a bad name. And she kind of, she's black and white, and she kind of looks like she's wearing a bandit mask. So I named her Penelope after Penelope Cruz, because Benditas is one of my favorite movies. And she's not a Salma. I love that. So I call her Penelope. I'm going to call her Penelope, or Penelope, which I also think is funny. She's more of a Penelope sometimes. Um, so, anyways... The girl calls Zeta skank, which is, like, a real escalation of that sitch. Like, it goes from zero to 75 speeding in a 65 mile per hour zone real quick. And Zade blows up a lemonade and covers her in it. All I can think of is that Alan must have cheated repeatedly. And, like, they just had a fight about it. He just Really? Because I think what happened is Lanny waited too long and lied at Hot Dog on a Stick that day oh, and totally. went home and wrote this that's, scene. I mean, like, that's actually what happened. But, like, to explain this girl's behavior and not make her seem like a terrible person, because, again, strong female characters, um, Alan's trash, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. He's a bad person. But also, yeah, what happened was she asked for lemonade, probably diet, they gave her full calorie. Diet lemonade? Diet lemonade exists. Chick-fil-A. What? Yep. I'm upset. I'm, I will go to Chick-fil-A tomorrow and take a picture of Diet I lemonade. think we have to end this podcast. <laughs> I need to think. <laughs> it's less sugar. Anyways. It's more... Like a lemonade... Have you ever gotten a lemonade from... Why don't from... you just have lemon in your water? Have you ever gotten a lemonade from Starbucks? Yeah. Okay, do they ask you? I worked at Starbucks. Okay, so you get sweetened and unsweetened. How is that different? Like a No, the lemonade's always sweetened. It's whether or not your iced tea is sweetened. That's what it is. Okay, I get the passion tea lemonade, so. Yeah, it's whether or not they add more sugar to it. Hey, pro tip to all our listeners. Don't go to the don't go to Starbucks after the gym. We put sugar in fucking everything. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Do you know what they put in that? They put three ounces of simple syrup. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. In the lemonade. All right, we're gonna go on a quick Star Wars, or we're gonna go on a quick Starbucks detour. Okay. We had people who would come in their gym clothes, and they would get a venti caramel frappuccino, no. extra caramel syrup, no. extra caramel drizzle. And I feel like, like we had this woman who came in once, and she was like, "What do you have that has a lot of caffeine and it like a lot of it's like really sweet but doesn't have a lot of calories." Nothing. Nothing. You need to go somewhere else. People will come in and they they just don't recognize what they're having. But, like, if you get a... So, like, during the um, fall season, there's the uh, salted caramel mocha. Yes, I love that thing. But I only get, like, two the entire season. Okay. You can get more, but you have to modify it. Oh, God, yeah. Because you know what a salted caramel mocha has in it? Three ounces of chocolate syrup... Three ounces of caramel, coffee, milk, and that's just for the tall. And then they put whipped cream and caramel drizzle on top. I and never one of those get things cream. is probably like a meal's worth of calories. 
But it's not even calories. Calories is not the bad thing. No, it's the sugar. That is such an insane amount of sugar. Which is funny. Also, I can't stand the salted caramel mochas. Everybody bitched about the unicorn frappuccino and how much sugar it had. When they literally already had frappuccinos on the menu with more sugar. The cotton candy frappuccino that was such a big secret menu thing that it became an actual thing. That's a thing. That's... Yeah, you can come in and order. It's, like, the only... So, like, also, another thing. We should keep this part of the podcast because it makes me angry. No one who works at Starbucks knows what the fuck your weird-ass secret menu drink is. We're not playing coy. If you don't have the directions in front of you, we can't make it. The fact that I don't give a fuck what they gave you at the Target Starbucks. Those aren't real Starbucks. No, they're not. But also, like... (laughs) Like it's it's a th- every time that there's like a Facebook thing or whatever about that, um, it's like riddled with people being like, "There's no secret menu." Like the fact that people still think that there is a secret menu of any place, really. Well, that's the thing is that it's like you can come in and give me directions for your custom twelve dollar frappuccino if that's really what you want. Yeah, that's the other thing is like people but are like, you "But I want it cheap." You can't come in and be like, yeah, can I get a Rocky Road caramel frappuccino? I'm going to be like, I don't know what the fuck that is. How about you just get a black coffee? Which is how I felt every time anybody ordered something that wasn't a black coffee when I worked at Starbucks. Like, if it wasn't a latte or a black coffee, I was like, how about you just get a black coffee? I went in today because I was like, it's too fucking hot and got an iced chai tea latte. They're delicious. They're the best. When I used to get really hungover and then go into work the next day, I'd get a chai tea latte, two scoops of the protein powder that they put into the smoothies, whole milk, and that was breakfast. That sounds really good. It was delicious. And if I was feeling real fancy, I'd get one of the bananas that we put into the smoothies and I'd blend that shit up. That's awesome. It's my hangover cure. <laughs> okay, so back to the It, it didn't cure anything. It just, like, made me not want to die at Starbucks when I was so hungover. <laughs> Let's get back to this book. Okay. Anyways, we're back from Starbucks. All right. So she blows up the the lemonade on this poor girl who just works with her boyfriend at hot dog on a stick. Also, don't work with your boyfriend. Let's talk about that for a second. Just don't. Don't work. Yeah, never work with your significant other. You're just going to be sweaty and smelly together. Yeah. And you're going to realize that, like, you hate things about... How they do things. Some stuff goes down. There's the whole scene that I don't need to talk about anymore. But at one point we get one of those out of body experiences where it's italicized and we get someone else's perspective because first person wasn't compelling enough for Lanny Sarum. So Drew comments on Lanny and, excuse me, Zade. He's like, (laughs) God, that girl is beautiful, but it's beyond that. There's something unique and special about her. She's not like any other bad. That's like a stand in line. For, like, the actual bit of dialogue you're going to write. And then you have Jackson and Zade, and they, or Jackson and Mac, kind of talk about the fact that they're both really into Zade. And they sort of, like, come to terms with it, which is, like, an interesting bit to have. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. But we don't need to talk about that, because let's be honest, they're not the characters that matter. It's all about Zade. Nobody else matters except for Della. So, the characters within this book, the comma boys, as I like to call them, which is because... Mac, Tad, Cam, Trig, and Riley are always listed together in a different order every time, but they're always, like, all five of them are listed together with commas. 
So I call them the comma boys. The comma boys and everybody else like to go to this bar called McMullen's. It's where Sophia hits on Mac earlier for like no apparent reason that we can really figure out. No, we can speculate, but it's not, there are no context clues. Yeah. So they're at McMullen's and this guy starts hitting on Zade and Mac almost gets in a fight with the guy about it. And then later on, Jackson has a pretty cool line, which is he says like Zade is overhearing this conversation where Mac Jackson says to Mac flat out, Zade's a big girl can handle her handle herself. You didn't need to do that. And I actually kind of like that line. That was cool. Zade has not demonstrated that she could handle that situation at all, but I thought that was kind of a cool moment for Jackson. It made me a little bit team Jackson. So you don't think that her fighting about OSHA and uh, safety and like not being treated as a princess um, <clears throat> qualifies as her being able to handle herself? It's more that she doesn't handle herself in that situation. No, she, like, like, like actively like, wants to see what Mac does. Like, I think she even makes yeah. a comment. Yeah. Although, you know what? I will give her this, though. She does try to walk away, and the guy grabs her. That's fucked up. I'm glad Mac stepped in. He didn't need to make it that aggressive. No. Anyways. anyways don't grab. If I someone's not interested, let her be. The problem I have with the scene is that she's standing with the girls. So she goes and she goes to, like, talk with some of the performers who some of them get names, but not really. Aside from the girls I was standing with, who I no longer who, with I no longer had conversations to listen to. Aside from the girls I'm standing with, I no longer had conversations to listen to. You're standing with a group of people. You should just talk to them. I just finished a book that was portrayed to be about like women friendship, and I don't know necessarily what I wanted it to be about. But that's kind of how this feels like the book talks about how like she's a guy's girl and she only really had guy friends until she like finally found another girl that was also like a guy's girl. And that's how she got a best friend that was a female. I don't know. It's a weird book, but that's how this feels is like, Annie, do you have any female friends? I know she's got like her mom stand in figure, but she doesn't seem to have, I mean, she thanks some girls in the book. Yeah, like, she does. Like, in the, in the thank yous. But I also kind of get the impression that they're maybe not, like, good friends of her. But I'll get into that with you later. Um, so, aside from the girl she's standing with, she doesn't have any conversations to listen to. She's standing with all of these girls and zoning out, listening to other conversations. Specifically the conversations that Mac and Jackson are having about her. And then we get to this. Zade, Zade, are you okay? Oh, I'm sorry. I must have zoned out. What was it? What's your favorite clothing store? She asked slowly and purposely. Typo. Putting emphasis on the word store. This sounds... What's your This is already... What's your favorite clothing store? store? But, the, but the point is that this girl's supposed to be talking to Zade like she's stupid, but you're supposed to understand that she's stupid for wanting to know anything about clothing store. I don't know. There's so many to choose from. I had a plethora of options of stores plethora of options of stores i could have named but at that exact moment i couldn't think of a single one for some reason it was a stupid response but it at least bought me a few moments to think of a store any store i looked down and noticed the tag on the dress i was wearing it said bj and i somehow managed to remember that it stood for the name on the tag on the inside of the dress betsy johnson by the way she spells betsy johnson right but she misuses women w-o-m-e-n where it's supposed to be w-o-m-a-n several times throughout the book and you know stephanie meyer's name is spelled wrong which i'm just never going to forget 
love her, but she doesn't have stores anymore, and you can only buy her stuff online now, which I hate because I like to try things on. Nora, a tall, skinny blonde, who was a dancer in the show, said very passionately, as if we were talking about world peace or something. What a bitch. God, I hate it. I hate it. That's, That's right. right. Such a shame. I wonder why that is. I tried to sound as convincing as I shook my head like I really had known that information previously. Nora then continued to talk about her favorite stores. I mentioned something called Free People. I thought about asking if that was a store or a cause, but I figured I could just Google it later. She doesn't capitalize Google. Um, and not sound so uncool. I was relieved that the girls had gone back to talking and had stopped focusing on me. Um, the girls stopped focusing on you because you're a bitch. Like, that was a bitch move. And also, it's a bitch scene. Like, look, I talk about clothes with people. That's something, like, like I have a best friend here. Her name is Jess. We talk about clothes a lot. I convinced her to get Poshmark, and now we send each other fucking Poshmark shit all the time. There you go. Because, because yeah. again, it's okay to like clothes. It's okay to care about how you look, guys. My bestie really likes mod cloth, and will send me things at work and be like, should I buy this? And I don't know why she does, because my response is always, yes. You need this. So Except that Mod Cloth is owned by Walmart now. Oh, is it? I don't think I knew that. Yeah. Free People it's also steals uh, indie, indie artist stuff, so don't go. Also, they have a spirituality shop where they sell $60 candles with a piece of shit-ass quartz in them. Free People's terrible. Yeah, they are. The fact that they get mentioned in this means that she probably shops there. I just don't understand why she, like, that's another example, though, just like the scene with the plain white tees, where she's just being condescending for the sake of being yes. condescending. There's so, so a bonding thing. Like, I really liked a guy and my best friend, my best girlfriend, and I went shopping for, like, it was, like, a late decision. We went for hours. She doesn't like them all either, but goddamn, she loves clothes. And she helped me pick an outfit that was not me, but looked really damn good. And I don't think I've worn it all together once since, but I still have all the pieces. Because it was like a yellow shirt and a purple cardigan and blue jeans, I think. And it was wonderful together. But also, I don't wear that much color. So, <laughs> And she's the kind of person who's like, you know, Jessica Day on New Girl? That's my friend. Oh, oh, that's mm-hmm. my bestie, Laura. But, like, like Laura actually hates New Girl because she's like, God damn, someone has made my look popular. So, Oh, I really just don't like New Girl because she's supposed to be nerdy, but she's not really that nerdy. I'll go on a rant to that, about that. <laughs> about how, about how Zoe Deschanel ruined my life. Um, but again, this is just, like, another moment in which Lanny is proving that she's not really interested in writing female characters that are complex and interesting to play, she's kind of contemptful or contemptuous. Yeah, contemptuous. She has a lot of contempt for other women. Like, that, to me, is really obvious in her writing. Like, she's obviously someone who doesn't have a lot of close female friends, or if she does, maybe she doesn't have the best relationship with them, or maybe she's been burned by females before, but it just feels really like girl-on-girl competition. And it doesn't feel good. Like, I don't... I don't like it. That really, this is really the the clincher of the book for me. You know, I talked about how I really tried to get genuine joy out of this, and there are moments where I do. But that really struck me as not only full of contempt, but really immature. Like, that sounds like an attitude that I would have had in, like, the eighth grade. It's what we were fed by media in the 90s and early 2000s, is that women can't yeah. be friends. 
And we are starting to break that with, you know, Pitch Perfect being such a success. Broad City is amazing. Um, Female friendships are really, really important. Like, I mean, I spent I spent most of middle school doing the whole, I'm not like other girls. Girls are too much drama. Um, Lauren de Blasi, who's great and is a guest on another podcast that we love that I won't plug, but falling in love montage is great. Um, she and I actually were joking the other day about being not like other girls. And then at the same time, we both typed, yeah, I mostly hang out with dudes. Girls are too much drama. And we were like, oh, we were the same person in middle school. I definitely, I always have a male best friend and a girl best friend. And there are times that I hang out with guys more. Yeah, and that's normal. Guys are definitely just as much, if not more, drama. Like, given my almost worse. Yeah. Like, everything that I went through last month, I was like, who the fuck would ever think that guys are not drama? And it's just, it's, it's, like, this is actually, I agree, the worst thing. Like, the love triangle sucks. The magic sucks. But the girl-on-girl crime. The contempt she has for other women. And she's apparently worked in shows and things like that. And like, I get it. Not every woman's going to like each other. You don't have to. It's almost like they're they're people. people. Exactly. Like they have personalities. I don't don't like every man I've ever met either. But like there was an interview with the Ocean's 8 cast and they were like, oh, was everybody just really bitchy and fight? And they were like, no, there wasn't a fucking single fight. Like women get along. I've literally, Laura's been my best friend for seven and a half years. I will not say that we have never gotten frustrated with each other. We've never fought because it's, we met as adults and it's just like, she's too chill for that. Like literally. And it's, it's just like, why waste the time? Like, so like one of my best friends, Jess, and she she and I met at Starbucks. She's actually, like, a few years older than me, which I think has, like, helped our friendship a lot because she's, like, a grown-up. And I'm, I that's not how a grown I feel about we Laura. Met. She's five. Oh, shit. Sorry, Laura. I'm going to hold you off the top of my head. 33 or 34. So, yeah, a few years older. But it's, like, like, if you... I just feel like there's this idea that, like, women have to fight. Jess and I have never fought. Or if we have... It's not been a fight. It's been like a, hey, you did this thing that hurt my feelings. Exactly. And then it's just us both feeling really bad. Because I feel terrible that I hurt her feelings. And she feels terrible that she made me feel terrible for hurting her feelings. This is exactly what I go through with Flora. Where it's just like, I know I've done something that she got really pissed off. But five minutes later, we were talking about something else. And she was fine. Exactly. Yeah, and now that we have this, like, growing generation of, like, women, like, empowering each other, like, I still have that ingrained competition feeling. Oh, yeah. We're like, like, I don't know, like, Jess is beautiful, and every once in a while there's a moment where I'm like, fuck Jess. I'm not as pretty as Jess. But then I remember, that's fucking stupid. That's a stupid reason to even think about it, because it doesn't have to be a comparison thing. Right. You don't have to, again there are female friends that I'm currently like, I had a very long vent session with one earlier because a mutual friend of ours, I was like, I'm going to kill her because all of her drama is self-imposed. And I had to sit there and be like, is this my like media fed brain? And I was like, no, I was like, and then I was like, is this PMS? 
no, like this is me actually super annoyed right now. You don't have to like everyone and you don't have to like your friends all the time, but your friends shouldn't be frenemies. And I think that's the problem that I have here is that Zaid has no female friends. Her only female connection is her mother. She kind of has like a tentative friendship with Sophia that kind of happens next where she and Sophia meet. She finds out Sophia is a good singer they kind of become friends, and, like, maybe that'll be a thing in the next book. She does watch Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. It's totally going to be a thing. It just totally feels throughout this book that she doesn't really have any respect, and this scene typifies that for me. It is... She doesn't see girls as having conversations that are meaningful. When girls are left to their own devices, they talk passionately as if they're talking about world peace or something, about something stupid, like stores. How dare. How dare. You know what? The conversation I appreciate the most are the conversations where we're not talking politics because, like, goddamn, I'm going to die. And those pointless conversations about stores are needed. Yeah, look, I spend all day really stressed out right now about the Supreme Court. Yep. But you know what? Last night I went to dinner with my friend Jess. She's <laughs> kind of my best friend. We hang out a lot. And I complained about H&M sizing for like 45 Fuck minutes. Fucking female clothing back and forth. What are, They just don't have sizes there. They just toss things down the stairs and the things at the top are smalls and the things at the bottoms are larges. And within that store, I have clothes. I'm not kidding. I have clothes that are an extra small and I have clothes that are an extra large and they fit me and it's not like, oh, but I wanted this sweater drapey. It's like, this dress is an XL and it, just and it fits. fits me like a glove. I don't know who the extra small was made for. It's too much. <laughs> I have the same pair of pants from there in four different colors in four different sizes. That makes no sense. I know. H&M. Anyways, sorry, we can cut that part. I just wanted to complain about it. No, that's fine. I like it because you know what we just did? We talked about frivolous clothes stores. And you know what? It was wonderful. It was great. This is this is what this is what we can talk about as women and have conversations about stores. And I didn't feel the need to compete with you at all. Like I wasn't like, damn, Meg. Yeah, no, like one of my favorite things in the world is that women have acknowledged that we do not wear makeup and clothing for men necessarily on a regular basis. I wore a dress when I went to hang out with Ryan and Ariel a few weeks ago and Ariel turned to me and goes, Oh my God, I love your dress. And it was this moment of just like the rest of the night could go so bad, but that was just so sweet. And thank you. And it's just like, cause dudes don't notice. They don't care. Most of the time. I mean, my bestie and I lived together and I like would go for a blonde to red and he'd be like, you look different today. It's like, new glasses? And I'm just like, I can't. I can't. can't. Yeah, I would like, when I lived with like my two guy best friends for like three years, I'd be like, what do you think of this outfit? They'd be like, great. What do you think about this outfit? Also great. Should I wear this jacket? Sure. No, 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 no. I'm not asking if, like, I can morally wear this jacket, <laughs> Alex and Brian. Like, I know I can. Exactly. I'm I asking if opinions. it looks right with this outfit. Or, like, I remember one day I'd been going through this really bad, like, self-image-hating moment. 
And I finally felt like skinny and fit and good again. And I showed my friend Brian. I was like, look, I'm wearing high-waisted jeans. And he was like, okay. It's like, no, 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 no. This is the part where you go, damn, girl. Exactly. You just See, this is what Zayd's missing in her life. This is why she needs the male gaze. I guess. Because, yeah, like... She's not getting affirmation from her female friends, and that's that's the most. So does this mean that we're going to get a female character that all she does is go damn Zaid? Probably. Moving forward. Yes. Nothing really of consequence happens in the middle. There's the bike yep. scene. Yep. She she asks the tarot cards what to do about Mac and Jackson and says that she doesn't want to worry about Lambo Girl. So we dismiss the only real conflict that's been insulted. By the way, if you didn't listen to the first season, I'm assuming everybody did, but if you didn't, at one point, Zayd is leaving the mall, where she definitely didn't spend all day shopping. (laughs) And a girl confronts her and says, I know what you are. That's why women hate you and men love you. (laughs) And then proceeds to do magic at her and throw her against a wall. And And then Zayd's friends show up. And Zayd has been thrown against a wall forcefully, and yet she's fine. Yep. And, oh, and then yeah, Lambo Lil, Girl disappears. Lil didn't even notice. Lil didn't notice. Well, Lil was too busy thinking about what she had for breakfast. Exactly. So, we cut to a few weeks later, which I feel like every chapter starts with weeks flew by, or a few weeks went by. There's no sense of time at all. Zayd has started working on a new illusion that just kind of gets offhand mentioned and then becomes a major point with Charles. There's a point where Mac asks her to come on a camping trip, and she kind of senses that he's upset that she's not going because she's going to stay to work on her new illusion with Charles. When Mac comes back and he wears the horrible thing where he wears the cufflinks with the jeans and the jacket, and it's terrible, he's coming over after he's gone camping that weekend and she stayed with Charles, and he notices a picture of them from a restaurant and some tickets from a David Copperfield show and realizes that she spent the weekend not just working with Charles, but going out in the town with Charles. And it's the first sort of inkling that he gets that maybe there's something more happening with Charles. Right. Then, then the harness scene where she's wearing a harness. There's several points in the book where Zayd is doing something. She doesn't realize how sexy she is. She's wearing a harness and she's like bent over and Max starts grabbing the harness, and I'm like, these are not two people who haven't had sex, I'm sorry. No, but yet they haven't. Yet they haven't. So, then there's the bike scene. They're out hanging out. She gets clipped by a biker, something that obviously happened to Lanny in real life. Spills the contents of her bag. Her tarot cards are all over, and Max starts going on about how he doesn't give a shit about that stuff. He doesn't believe in it. And this is the point where I really think Charlie Day should take over for whoever's playing Mac up until this point. Because I think he would just deliver this rant so well. She says she doesn't really care, but she's kind of hurt by it. And then later on she goes on a date with Jackson, who's like, hey, let's go get our palms read. And she's like, oh, but Jackson doesn't look down on this kind of magic thing. Which is the only compelling argument for Jackson. Right. That, uh... You know, he's nice, and we'll let her take care of herself. The harness scene is important, not just because it's the only scene in the book that I find actually, like, romantic and kind of sexy, but it's also the scene at which Charles realizes that Mac and Zade have something going on, and he gives Mac, like, the... What is it, the third degree? Yes. About their relationship. Which is exactly what a father would do. But... 
considering no one knows, I think. Two of my coworkers started dating. My best friend, Laura, started dating Paul, who Paul now doesn't work for the company. They live together. They'll probably eventually go and to a courthouse on a weekday and get married, and it'll be great. But mm. it happens. Nobody pulled Paul into an office to be like, what are your intentions? What well, they did... Laura's dad work at the place? No. What they did was like, Megan, are Laura and Paul dating? And I go, why don't you ask them? You grown-ass men. I thought it was uh, fill out a disclosure form for HR. Um, yeah, we actually have a couple that met and started dating and got married on the job. And they had to do some other stuff that I don't know. But yeah, like, my company's strange. Hmm. It's fine. Um, I don't think it's in any of my social media. So, like, don't get me in trouble. But whatever. Anyways, my point being, this whole third degree thing crosses a line. Um, I don't know who the HR manager is in this book. God damn, they get a lot of work. And, yeah, I just... There was something else I wanted to say. But now I can't remember. But, yeah. I just... That's the character I want to play. I want to play the HR manager. That's just like... Toby. Toby Flanderson. Let's go with that one. That's no, the you office. should be Holly Flax. You'd be more of a Holly Flax. Office? Yeah, this okay. is the office. Um, where it's just like every time I've filled out a form and some kind of issue, something else has happened. Also, I don't know. I just don't know. This book is so messed up. There's so much happening in it. Anyways, he gives Mac this, like, big long talk about, do you love her? Which, by the way, no, your boss should never ask you that. No. No. So then we get to the illusions finally premiering. And the night before, Charles takes everybody to this diner? Oh, that's what it is. Restaurant. If Mac is supposed to run the board, (laughs) why the fuck are they doing things... Without telling him. Without him there. Like, unless they're just, like, doing storyboards of the idea or something. Like, why the fuck? He's the one who's going to have to know how to operate all of the machinery that's supposedly going to be involved. But remember, Zade's magic and nobody's ever fucking asked about this. Also, they're all at dinner. If she's supposed to be pulling her magic from him or whatever, shouldn't he Doesn't he he need to be there when she's practicing? Anyways, whatever. I... I don't honestly remember what I ranted about. And so if I'm, I'm sorry if anybody's hearing me rant about the same things again. Internal inconsistencies are really, really annoying. Um, so they all go to lunch or they all go to dinner and Charles insists on Mac sitting next or insists on Zade sitting next time. It makes Mac and Sophia go sit together somewhere else. And then we get my favorite moment of the book, which is that emojis are exchanged within <laughs> the text of the book, but they're Facebook emojis, at least in the Kindle edition. Yeah, they're Google emojis. Um, they are not iPhone emojis, which she specifically says they have. Yep, because iPhone, or I believe iOS has uh, copyrighted them. You can't just, like, use yeah, them. Yeah, you can't. So now we get to the illusion. And the illusion is a Buckwild situation that I can't even... I. It would take too long to read, and there was so much happening that I literally can't tell you. All I know is that at one point, 
There is a glass statue of Charles as a kid. There's an apple tree. The apples get tossed to the audience. They're supposed to be the best apples you've ever eaten. I only remember that part because I'm from New York and that's wrong. <laughs> I'm from upstate New York. I'm from the motherfucking apple region, Hudson Valley. The best apples you'll ever eat are grown in upstate New York and Vermont. And I need Not to try these. made by magic in some Las Vegas show. That's insulting. Fuck you, Lanny Sarum. Anyways. So, there's this whole illusion, and Mac, start, or Mac walks out of the thing. He's not running the board. He decides to let Cam do it, which is insane. Because we've never gotten any evidence that Cam is the, a head tech in any capacity. No, I can't even remember what his job is now at this point. But it's not head director. And I get maybe practicing and being like, hey, in case Mac's sick, here's what we do. But in all honesty, if Matt's sick and can't run the board, then Zaid pulls the illusion. Yeah, that should be how it is. But he leaves, Zaid starts feeling sick, and at the end of her illusion, she starts hemorrhaging. So much blood everywhere. Like She's just bleeding out of every orifice, and Zeb is the one who catches her. And Zeb had already cornered her at one point earlier in the book and been like, hey, I don't think what you're doing is safe. Exactly. Which is true. Very true. It's also so she, when she, like, randomly, it's, like, silent, and she's like, why don't you like me? And it's like, well, that was really out of the blue. Thank you. And awkward. So, Zeb and Tad catch her, and then Mac shows up and realizes she needs to go to the hospital. So she and Charles, or he and Charles, take her to the hospital, where the hospital doesn't know what to do. The hospital scene is kind of useless, except for... Lambo Girl shows up one more time. And at this point, everything we are learning is... Zade reading other people's memories, which could have been a really cool concept had she included it in the beginning and would explain the italicized third-person sections that also occasionally switch to first-person for no reason. And then within this whole last section, she's telling things in third-person, but then occasionally switches to first-person, but it's sometimes like her it's italicized it, yeah. and sometimes it's not. In other words, there was no editor. She just doesn't seem to have a really good handle on what was happening here. So they realize the hospital's not going to be able to help her because she's bleeding for no reason. And somehow they release her and put her on a jet that takes her to Tennessee where her mother's going to save her. This woman is actively losing blood. Yep. They have not stopped the internal bleeding. They take time to have some iced tea talk about their love i don't even want to get into it because it's a stupid story no, all of it's stupid all of it the the doctor is going to get sued for malpractice not from zayden them but from someone else because like they literally he admits he has no fucking clue what's going on it's like um the doctor in 30 rock that's who it is where it's like i don't anyways all of it's bad. They shoo the doctor away who's like, hey, this girl's having problems. And he's like, I'm her dad. And he's like, we need a minute. Go away. You're in the fucking ER. That's just not how it works. No. And the fact that the doctor's like, okay. And not like, okay, maybe you guys are having a moment, but again, fucking dying. It's just... So they take her to Tennessee and they explain the whole backstory between Della and Charles, which we don't need to do. But 
No, the there's a long The important rant thing it. is they explain to Mac that Zade had been using him as something of a magic anchor to uh, use chaos magic. And this is, this is actually one of the points that stuck out to me in the book because it's one of the most egregious examples of you really needed an editor. She's explaining what... Um, she also does this thing that I remember I learned in middle school. Don't do your exposition in the middle of action. So she does she's talking constantly. about what chaos magic is. This is in the middle of the illusion. She stops to say, I was messing with a particular kind of magic, the kind of magic that was both strong and volatile. That's the end of one paragraph. The next paragraph. I was messing with a particular kind of magic, which I hadn't quite yet mastered. Chaos magic is, comma, is both strong and volatile, as its name implies, and is by nature very unpredictable. So altogether, these two sentences that come right after each other, I was messing with a particular kind of magic, a kind of magic that was both strong and volatile. I was messing with a particular kind of magic, which I hadn't quite yet mastered. Chaos magic is both strong and volatile, as its name implies, and is by nature very unpredictable. There's a comma after chaos magic in that second sentence. That's not needed, I don't think. Yeah, you're separating the subject from the, the verb, and it's, yeah, it's, it's a problem. Yeah. But anyways, if you didn't get, it's strong and volatile. It's Goes wrong. bad. That's why she ends up hemorrhaging. She's on her bed, and so Della explains to Mac that he has to be the one to release the magic energy in order to start healing her. And they talk about how he's going to use what looks like a dagger to essentially stab her. And this is something... I'm gonna be gross, okay? Go ahead. Della explains it as releasing the magic energy kind of like an EpiPen. An EpiPen is not the best example for this. The best example for this is, like, popping a zit. No, yeah. To be honest with you. Yeah. Because they're talking about how they need to pierce this woman to release all of the magical energy in her. She's a magic zit. There's also a thing where... Or, like, lancing a blister. Um, <laughs> I've seen it in mu movies a few times. I don't know if it's actually a medical thing, because most medical things just make me want to pass out. Um, including all of my own shit, but where you'll the see like, thing. yeah, where people Lots aren't long. breathing and then they stick like a pen in and suddenly they can, like, it feels more like that, but you're right. An EpiPen is shooting something into you. Yeah. yeah an EpiPen is inserting, uh, antihistamines or no, it's not antihistamines. That's the thing that causes the allergic root. I don't know what it is. It's essentially Benadryl. When you give yourself an EpiPen, you're not stabbing the, like, spot where the wasp stung you. You're stabbing your thigh. You're going to try to get the vein so that you can get something that's going to make your body stop going, not going to anaphylactic shock. What they're talking about is releasing energy. It's not even really, like, the, the collapse. So that happens when you collapse a lung, and what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to stab the chest between the ribs, put, I'm sorry if this is really No, you're fine. You're fine. Here. I'm trying to think um, what movie... You're supposed to put, like, a... You can use a pen, but you're supposed to use, like, a syringe and essentially pump air in to reinflate the lung so that you can breathe again. Um, it'll help clear... Or, no, you're supposed to use it to pull the liquid out so that your lung isn't full of liquid anymore because you're drowning in your own blood in that situation. Mark Ruffalo, Reese Witherspoon. That movie, they do it. They also do it on iZombie. It happens a lot. It's It's a common thing. Any, this this is all to say that while I was reading this whole situation, all I could think of was, like, you have to pop the magical zit. I like that and they so do. much more. And she comes back. She's in a lot of pain, but she realizes Matt came with her, and somehow at the end she still isn't really sure 
yeah. which dude she's gonna be with. She calls and him a Mac puppy. And Mac is also chill with this. She also, like, I get that they don't want, she doesn't want the love triangle at the end. But you know what? Twilight, she's with Edward. The love triangle can still be debated about up until book four, because we can pretend like book four doesn't exist because of the whole daughter thing. Um, yeah. Or, like, Peta and Gail. Like, she's literally with Peta at the end of book one? Nope, nope, that might not be right. Anyways. She hasn't, she doesn't really choose between them because, again, that is a book where there's a love triangle that she doesn't really want to be involved in. No, like, I actually really, like, Katniss has, Katniss is about as asexual as they come. Um, for understandable traumatic reasons. Like, it's fine. The fact that she ends up with PETA is a coping mechanism for PTSD rather than love, in my opinion. Yeah. It, it, I, I view it as, like, a this is the person who was there for her. Like, Mac, or not Mac, sorry, Gail <laughs> fucked off. Gail, Gail's trash. Gail, Gail PETA was the one planting flowers outside of her house, you know? Like, that's that's sweet. Um... um I, I guess it's it's literally just to keep the triangle going, but like you could have it so that she's with Mac because in all honesty, unless they are going the poly route, which they're not going to do because like no. that's not a bridge she's going to cross. This doesn't have any well written female characters. We cannot get our hopes up for a poly route. But you put her with Mac because he definitely deserves it because he flew to Tennessee and you almost died, etc. If you want the triangle to keep going, you cause them to have a fight in book two. Something happens. You introduce a magical dude that... You make Jackson a character with things about him. You suddenly make Sorry. Mac a back character and Jackson has all the lines and everybody's going, what? When did this happen? So, and then nothing else really happens in this book. Charles and Della get married, and yet when they return to the show, they talk about how Zaid had to look everywhere for a dress and they don't really make it clear that it's Della and Charles getting married. No, Della they're and pulling the clueless, like, it's... Who's gonna get married? Cher and Josh? Is that the brother's name? Anyways, yes. getting married. Paul and, Rudd. Yes, Paul Rudd, who still looks exactly the fucking same. Um, so they... So Charles and Della get married. Zade catches the bouquet. It's a thing. Her mother and then, magically And then we get, um... Gay people or gender fluid people are all magical because we need to otherize them some more. Aunt Aldith, who comes and says, uh, we knew that, like, Zade's the special child or something. And then, according to the, the actual description, lights the whole fucking reception on fire. And that's the end of book one, kids. That's not even book one. That's the start of book two. Oh, it is? Shit. Well, Mac asks if there's a handbook for mortals somewhere. And in that, that scene, the I imagine the song from the end of the Power Rangers movie. It's not Blinded by the Light, but it sounds like Blinded by the Light. <laughs> yeah. It sounds a lot like it. Like, there's, like, music slowly, like, building in the background, and he's like, is there, like, a handbook for mortals? We've never really established that anybody's immortal, though. No. No. It's like... I think I went on a long rant about Sabrina last time this happened. I, being a witch doesn't make you not immortal. Which is why Harry Potter calls them muggles. It's a different name. Like. Nomadges. Yeah. 
Although, you know, it's like if this book takes place in a world where the plain white tees and NSYNC exist, why wouldn't he say a handbook for muggles? Because I would, would love be, that so much more. That would be our reaction. Especially as she's trying so hard to get J.K. Rowling to recognize her book. Um, she is? That's, oh, she boy. tweeted someone with J.K. Rowling the other day and I was like, oh, oh you're embarrassing me. Oh, um, no. Yeah, the so... whole... I really hope she redoes the beginning of this, maybe realizes like how terrible this opener is. Also, it does say that the book's coming out this year, but it's definitely not... She's definitely not making any mention of writing it. Well, There's... she's doing Wizard World. Yeah, that's her life. She just does the con circuit, because that's where she sold all of her books, supposedly. Which, like... You asked me this a few weeks ago, and it still has yet to leave my mind. How... Okay. I have a friend who writes amazing Jane Austen retellings and has put out several books and I believe still has a day job yeah I don't think you can quit your day job until you're making like Neil Gaiman money like I'm fairly certain the author of Children of Bloodborne I know Blood and Bone made a lot of money off that series so like maybe she doesn't have a day job but most Almost all indie writers, unless, like, you were some trust fund baby or something, you have a job. Lanny, what does she do? What? I don't know. Because, I don't know, I've never... Oh, we should have asked Ryan if, like, they had to pay for a booth at Comic... Or whatever con they did for their podcast. Because she's done... She's been traveling with Wizarding World. But Wizarding World... Does Comic-Con pay for people to appear? You have to pay for um, Artist Alley. I know that. It's, like, extremely expensive to do it at NYCC. Yeah, like, BookCon costs to have a booth. And, which is why, like, a lot of authors go with their publishers. But Thomas Ian Nickel is, like, Nichols? Nick? Whatever. Thomas. Tad. He's, uh, like, a guest. He's always, like, a featured guest. Which means, I don't know if they pay him, but he shows up. Yeah, I don't know. I'm really, really wondering if she's going to come to New York Comic Con. It's not on either of their schedules that I've seen. Well, I don't think they either of them would be able to table there. A lot of I the mean, people like... that she's been, like, at Wizarding World with is going to it. I, I did submit my application to, to try to volunteer at Comic Con. So... But that's the thing is, like, I don't know, like, Comic-Con is so big, like, I mean, like, the smallest named celebrity that I saw at Comic-Con when I went back in, like, 2013 was John Barrowman. Everyone else was like, I'm on Game of Thrones right now. Yeah. God, I love John Barrowman. Um, I don't know, it's, they can't be paying, because he charges for autographs, they can't be paying him. Yeah, so I think that that, I don't, I don't know how she makes money. I don't know if she's managing. Maybe she really is, like, I mean, I paid four ninety nine for the book. Maybe she really is making, There's no way. making no, dough off of it. There's no way. Unless she's acting as Thomas Ian Nichols' manager and getting paid that way. Maybe. Or maybe she just has a day job that she never talks about. What would it be, though, that she could travel everywhere? What is she doing, like? Because she travels, like, every other week. 
Well, I mean, she's with... Maybe she's helping manage, like, Wizarding World. Like, maybe she's doing, like, behind the scenes, like... That may be it. Clerical for them or something, and that's why she's able to travel with them. Yeah, because even her Facebook profile, I probably shouldn't admit that I'm looking at this right now, says former production manager. Yeah, I would say that that's probably the most likely then, that she's doing some kind of, like, clerical work or admin work for the Wizarding World con. Which, you need people who do that. There's nothing wrong with yeah, that. No. I'm, an, I'm an administrative professor or professional. That's how I started. Um... I mean, like, yeah, I like I said, I just applied to work at New York Comic Con. It's a thing. Um, I'm actually really hoping I get it. And I don't know. I don't know. It's just, it baffles me. Because there's no way, first of all, there's no way that Thomasina Nichols has a personal jet. And I don't know about it. No. So. Okay, he was in American Pie and Rookie of the Year. And I have yet to try to listen to his band music. Okay, I can't yeah. imagine they do that well. Okay. So, that's my read-through. All in all, I still definitely feel like this book fits pretty squarely into the room section for me. Um, I, I really did enjoy reading it because... Here's the magic of Handbook for Mortals. It really <laughs> did. I'm being serious So, right but I just like the pun. The magic. Without a K, though, because <laughs> I live in the real world. <laughs> um, I feel like it really captures the reckless abandon of the self-insert fiction that I wrote when I was, like, 12 or 13 years old. And that's not really to, like, diminish Lenny Sarum. I don't think she's a great writer. I think she could have done with a beta reader. I'm not sure that I would have done better, though. And back when I was, like, 13 years old and I was reading a bunch of Tamora Pierce novels I wrote so much fantasy in which I was just the main character and I had so much fun with it and it was so good to lose myself in that world and I can see how Lanny Sarum lost herself in this world and that's kind of like that's what was evident to me underlying all of it like the sexism sucked yep. the internalized misogyny sucked the complete lack of people of color being present sucked. But you can tell that the reasons that those things happened in those books is because she's a white woman. And this was all underpinned by her losing herself in a world that she finds better than the one she lives in. Right. And that's and the truth. There's nothing wrong with that. And I mean, we all have that stuff and it's great. Should it see the light of day outside of like, it shouldn't have been a book. Circles. Yeah, yeah. It shouldn't have been a book because for many reasons. But okay, it's fine being a book. It should not have been a book that she is so adamant about it being deserving of that number one bestseller spot because it's not. No, it's not. It would have been fun to find this book. And on Wattpad. On, <laughs> yes, definitely. And been like, okay, I know this, like, and to message you and be like, I know this is terrible. I need you to read it because we need to talk about it kind of thing. Something like that, it would have been fine. It could have gotten a cult following that way. But it's not going to at the end of the day. 
it really does hinge on this next book. I really think that she has room to build something, but she's going to have to redo this foundation at some point or another. Oh, yeah. I If she does, cool. And we will still talk about it because at the end of the day, she's not... What she's doing about this book, it's not a great thing. And she's not a good person for it. And all I, just the, the Brooklyn Nine-Nine episode I watched right before we started recording, Gina goes, by having Detective on this plaque, you are discriminating against me worse than segregation. And both the captain and Terry shake their head. And she's like, did I go too far? I went too far. I'm sorry. If you had just done that. Like, there was something about that apology that I just went like, why is it so hard for people to do this? To apologize. I went too far. Did I go too far? Shit. Okay. I'm sorry. Let me back up. It's fine. It's acceptable. And if people did that more, maybe people would let people apologize more. Maybe That's the thing, is that she doubled down when she got called out for what's what's kind of bad behavior, to be honest. Yeah. It's... If she had come out and been like, you know what? We fucked up. We tried to get a year's worth of books to represent a week, thinking that it might do something. We fucked up. Instead of doubling down and being like, no, I sold that many books in a week. I did it. She's a problematic fave, I guess. Yeah. And if anybody (laughs) goes to a Wizarding World, I have one friend that did, but she is so far removed from this that I'm just like, by the time I realized she had gone, I was like, did you see Lanny Serum? She's like, I don't know who that is. Damn it. So. All right. I'm sure we will talk about Lanny again. Yes. Cause we will definitely, we, we might, we'll probably do like a mini sode at some point where we catch up on her. But this podcast is no longer going to just be a podcast about Lanny Serum. Dun, dun, dun. This is now going to be a podcast about other bad people who write bad books. And we think we're putting our crosshairs on Felina Hopkins. Oh, yeah. We definitely are. So, And by should... doing this, this means I'm totally going to run into her in the subway and it's going to be fine. Ah, oh, awesome. This is great. You need to film the whole thing. But first, we're going to... So, I started reading Cocky Roommate, the first in the Cocker Brothers series... And I'm not kidding, guys. There is a man naked in front of a woman he doesn't know holding his dick in the first page. I have not this read this. This is after she so uses excited. the word lemonade shower. So I think next week what we're going to do is we are going to... I'm going to read the sample and we're going to talk about that. Because we're yeah. not going to do book one. We're just going to read the sample and then have another book from the series. Unless people pick the book from the, the first book. Yeah. But um, we are shifting gears. Can... So we're going to do the cocky series, and hopefully she doesn't sue us for using her copyrighted word. We won't use the font if we change the picture on this pod. This is this is the cocky handbook podcast now. The handbook podcast of cockiness? I don't know. Might... A handbook for cock. I mean, A what? handbook for cock. <gasps> this podcast changed. I'm writing it down right now. <laughs> A handbook for cock. So you guys can expect that, and then we'll we'll always keep up with Lanny because oh know, yeah, she she's is our, our heart first. and soul of this podcast. She's 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 our mascot. 
but we are going to expand and just sort of talk about other people that have done terrible things. We might go after Cassandra Clare. At some point. At some point. I don't really want to read Mortal Instruments, but I might. I've read a few chapters and it's going to be Maybe we'll read her fanfic. Draco. I'm better for that. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, we might read her fanfic because it's free. At some point, we are going to do, I think, the, the Hate You Give. Um, probably after we do the Cocker series or something, because by that point, the movie will be coming out. Um, but also, and we all know that The Hate You Give was, for some reason, the book... Well, we know why it was the book Lenny Sarah went after, but she was terrible about it. And I think it's worth mentioning the book. It is, and it's it's worth... We I don't think we should do a chapter by chapter, but like we'll do an episode... Um, because I'm ready to read it again after seeing the trailer for the movie, and you have not read it. And I need to read it for the first time. And we are also in a time where apparently it's getting (sighs) banned and trigger, I don't know, uh, it's going on lists because of police brutality, and I need someone to sit down and rant with me about how this is not an anti-police book. And the cops are getting triggered and it's, there's snowflakes. It's not even just like it's not an anti-cop book because she has a cop that's an uncle that's a cop. Like there's so much more here. Anyways, so that's I guess what to It's expect. a book we're going to read at some point. Probably towards the fall because we're going to do this chapter by chapter. It depends. We'll see. We'll see what book you guys choose and we'll determine how we're going to go over it. But we will be going over that. So um, join a handbook for judging fabulous retellings covers the Facebook group, or you can just like handbook podcast, which I think is what we're going to change the Facebook name to because we're no longer just a handbook for handbook for mortals. We will become that again when handbook for mortals book two comes out, because as I said in the group, the universe is an unkind master and we will absolutely be getting another book. It is interesting. We both listened to an interview with her today because God forbid, if I find interviews I'm watching and listening, I'm just, it's, it's not an obsession, but occasionally I have to figure out what's going on with my life. But, uh, the rumor is... This is where the joke, the bad girl of the New York Times bestseller list comes from. Thomas Ian Nichols introduced her as such. Oh my gosh. Um, anytime someone asks her about the movie, it's always, they're still in talks, talks are wrapping up. This has been going on for months now four or five months of just like She's like donald trump and north korea anyway sorry um <laughs> oops i talk politics <laughs> another great podcast you should go check out um i just lost my turn of thought so you listened to the interview we were talking about books and movies she didn't yeah. mention at all that she was writing a second book she wasn't like i'm writing this book nope i there's not been anything they're still talking about how it's going to film later this year in her backyard on her iPhone. I'm not convinced this movie is going to come out. And I'm yeah, very curious not. who's going to attach themselves to it. But Tommy Wiseau. I hope so. He can play Charles. <laughs> Sorry. That was you mean more to me than life itself, Zade. <laughs> uh, on that note, um, follow us. Yeah, we are on Twitter at Handbook Podcast as well. Um, yeah. And we're going to stay weekly. And we haven't discussed guests, so I have no idea if we're going to do guests or not yet. But we'll discuss at some point. I mean, I don't know. I really like the sound of my own voice, and that would really cut into that. <laughs> I'm fine with that. Um, it's easier just to schedule two people. 
But so. we will eventually, I mean, listen, Lenny Serum, you reach out to us. I'd love to talk to you about your book. Honestly, yes. Let's, that goes out into the universe. And it's, we would not sit here and, and, and be mean you to you or anything like that. We, we want to talk to you. We have questions. We don't want to hear the elevator pitch that you've been giving everybody else. We legit want to talk to you about this book and your decisions in life. Because it's amazing to us. Yeah, what you did. It's just... It's... <sighs> Anyways, thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next week. We'll be back next week.